Amen. Amen. Good morning. Not enough unless you come. Amen, God. Amen. 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 All right. Let's get. Let's jump in. I got a quote that I... Um, this is a marriage quote. Uh, I've even shared it at some weddings, but I'm looking at it differently this morning. Here's the quote. You come, you come to love not by finding the perfect person, but by seeing an imperfect person perfectly. You come to love not by finding the perfect person, but by seeing an imperfect person perfectly. Father, we just thank you that that's how you see us, God. We thank you that you see us perfectly through your sacrifice. Lord, your, your love changes us. Your love allows you to see us perfectly. Your love transforms us. May, may we be teachable today, God. May your word be, uh, take root in us today and may we be open to it, to walk in it, to be changed by it, to listen and obey, to be hearers and doers of your word. May we be teachable that your love, that you would love others through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you're just joining us, we're Walking through the book of Ephesians together, and you're three months too late. Just kidding. But you can go online and, and listen to the, to the whole book of Ephesians as we've been going through it. And I encourage you to... to uh, has this been good for anybody? Has this been... Amen? Would you... Would you um, I, would you kind of join us on our website, on, on Facebook, follow us on Facebook, me, and just kind of, you know, leave a comment. Let us know what's going on. Let us know what books you, you'd like to uh, go through the word next, you know, things like that. And this, it's always good to hear, amen, from, from the body, how we're doing. I, I, I hear from a lot of people individually, and I know that God is doing something, that people are growing, and, and, and that's amazing, and that's, you know, that's what we want. So I just want to pick up right where we left off. Um, last week, this has been like, wow, for me to do. And, and, and so anyway, Ephesians 5.1, let's, let's, let's throw it up there in the message. Ephesians 5.1, um, this is where we started last week. Watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Amen. And that was the challenge last week, part of the challenge of this whole series. Love like that. We were summing things up as we were, as we were approaching the end of Ephesians. If we're going to be imitators of God, as the Word tells us to, if we're going to watch what God does and do it, if we're going to love like that, if we're going to walk different, then there's three characteristics that are going to have to be a part of who we are. Amen? I, I shared them with you last week. There's three. We're going to have to be marked by three things. We're, we're going to have to be known for these three things as a church. What was the first thing? Does anybody remember? Man, I was going to walk out the door. Unity. I heard, I heard somebody. I was going to leave. 
Unity is number one. Unity. We're going to have to be known. We're going to have to be known by these things. Unity. No division. We're one body with many parts. No division. You know the picture that I was, as I was, this was like Thursday night, I was thinking, you know how if we're one body with many parts, right? You know how sometimes we sit too long or we sit like on a leg or we sit on two legs? What happens? It falls asleep. Sometimes if we sit too long, come on, this is a whole message by itself. If we sit too long or if we sit wrong, parts of the body fall asleep. And then they're useless, right? You ever try to get up when your legs are asleep? You're like, right? You're, you're, it's asleep. It don't bend. It's tra- and then you get the, the little pins and needles feeling. Everybody know? And if you're around a jerk like me, he's going, well, that hurts. It's sleep. And you're like, ah, don't, don't. You're right? Because you get the little, I, I feel like the body of Christ right now is in that little pins and needles state. Oh, come on. That's good. We're in that little pins and needles state. We're at that thing where there's blood starting to flow, the parts of the body that have never flown before. There's blood starting to go, and we're starting, and, and, and it's about walking in unity, amen? No division, all, every part working, all guns firing on, on all cylinders, amen? Unity, we're going to have to be marked by that. We talked about that last week. What was the second one? I heard it over here. Holiness. Man. Ain't nobody preaching about holiness no more. Holiness. It matters how we walk. It matters how we, you know, we talked about that. If I'm, if, if, if we got to get to the point where, we, where we're telling people that we know that know us, more importantly, yo, I'm different, man. I don't roll like that no more. Amen? I, like, yeah, I know you know me. I know, you know, we've been through, yeah, but I don't, that's not me no more. Amen? I, I don't roll like, I, I know, I know, I, I used to be about that, but I don't do that. I used to be about this, but I don't, yeah, that's not me anymore. Holiness, amen? And it's not about like, that's another thing, you know, we get legalistic about. We say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian now, so I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this. I don't curse, I don't do this. It's not, being a Christian is not about what we don't do. It's about what we do. It's about how we walk, Amen? That, that's the worst thing to tell people. I'm a Christian because I don't do this, I don't do this. It's like, wow, you're a whole lot of fun to be around. <laughs> Can't wait to hang out with you at the party. And people, when people invite me to their weddings, they put me, I don't know, I, I guess that's got to be a weird thing for when you're inviting your pa- a pastor to a wedding. Who do I sit him with? Like, this guy, this guy's got to be the, like, who wants to sit with the pastor at a wedding? So my wife and I, we're always like, oh, my God, who are they going to put us with? It's always with other people's pastors because they figure, let's put them all together so they can talk and not embarrass anybody else. <laughs> I don't want them. Imp- anyway, that's funny. That's just funny. Holiness. We got to be marked by unity. We got to be marked by holiness. And, and we, we didn't get into this one, but we got to be marked by, what was the third? Love. Three things got to mark us, unity, holiness, and love. And I feel like I say this every message, but I don't think I can stress it enough. We got to be marked by love. We talked about what kind of love, the type of love that God has for us last week. When he says love like that, he's using the, the word, and let me unpack it again, you know, before I get to unpack the rest of this, is agape. It's that kind of love. He uses the Greek word agape. It's a sacrificial type of love. It's a selfless love that exists regardless of changing conditions. Even when we change, his love is the same. Even when we stop, he keeps on. Amen? That's the reckless love of God. A love that the finds God's immeasurable, incomparable love for us. A love that doesn't love in order to get something, but to give everything. And the challenge to the church is that we would love like that. See, Jesus left us this picture even before the cross. The cross is the ultimate picture of his love. No greater love has a man that he would lay down his life. For his friend, but he gave us this picture um, even before the cross. This was when he gathered with his his disciples for the for the last time that he was going to have a meal with them. You you guys know your grandmother has the picture on on her wall, the selfie that the one of the apostles took, where they were all sitting on the same side of the table. Right, you guys have that picture. 
So it was that day he was with them, and, and it says in John chapter 13 that he assumed, he got up, he, he put an apron on, and he tied a towel around his waist like a servant. And he washed the disciples' feet. And then he took it, put his clothes back on, and he returned to his place, and he says this. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's who I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Love like that. And then after they gathered around the table again, he drops a new command. I've never talked about this, you know, 89 messages but a new command I, leave, I give to you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So if we're going to be the church that God called us to be, if we're going to do what God asks us to do and walk like he asks us to walk, then we're going to have to, if we're going to call ourselves believers, our lives are going to have to be marked by unity, by holiness, and by love, so much that people will see it, it will be noticeably different. It will be noticeably different. (laughs) Noticeably different. I typed those words as I was writing something else, and those words just jumped out. Noticeably different. Different in a field of yellow with that one red flower. See, for too long the, the church has tried to blend in and not stand out. There's no noticeable difference between Christ followers and those around us who don't follow God. Sometimes. I'm not sometimes. Sometimes we argue just like they do. Sometimes we fight just like they do. Sometimes we're dishonest. Sometimes we lie. Sometimes we cheat. No, nobody here, but you know. Sometimes our language isn't much different. Sometimes we, our friendships struggle the same way. Sometimes we get into relationships we have no business being in. I... Sometimes we go places that we shouldn't. We get... Sometimes we can be just as selfish, just as greedy, just as insecure, just as petty, sometimes worse. And, and I, I got to be honest, I'm really convicted as a pastor that we should be doing better than that. We should be noticeably different. We can't be perfect. Listen, I'm not, I'm not being legalistic. I'm not being religious. And we're going to mess things up, man. Sometimes we'll make a big mess. And sometimes in one afternoon, we'll do all those things. One afternoon. Anybody? No, don't raise your hand. That's bad. People are going to judge you. Don't, don't raise your hand. But it's honest, right? Sometimes we just blow it. I'm not, I'm not saying, but, but isn't that what we should want, though? Church, can we, can we, can at least that be the goal? That we want to be noticeably different. I don't want to keep gossiping to people in church about people in church. I don't want to keep backbiting. I don't want to keep talking about. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to have issues with people in here. So I go around the aisle so I don't have to run into them as they get coffee because they, they, you know, or, 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 or whatever. I don't want that. I want to be noticeably different. Amen. Can we at least amen that? I want to be, no, I want people around me to know that I'm different by my walk. Not my t-shirt. Not a sticker on my car. I want them to, to know that, I want them to know that I'm noticeably different by being around me, by hearing the things I say, by my actions, by the way I respond. Even the way we go through storms. 
not all storms are from the enemy. God, plenty of time we read the disciples, right? We see Jesus sent them this way. I'll meet you on the other side. He knew there was a storm coming. <laughs> Sometimes God will send us into storms. And, we, and, and I just want people to know, even when I'm in my storm, I want to be noticeably different. I want people to see, man, the way he handled that storm, that sickness, that disease, that whatever, that whatever came at him, that shortness, that, that, the way he handled that, the way she dealt with that, man. Wow. Different. And so, so I'm not saying like we need to live in Christian t-shirts and quote scriptures randomly at people. That's weird. Amen? Anybody met weird Christians? I know there's none of them out there. It's, it's crazy. But I don't think that's what Jesus meant when we, when we read John. He, he said, people will know that you're mine by the love that you have for one another. So our love for, check that out, because it's not saying even by our love for them. It's saying by our love for us, they'll know that we're his. By your love for the church, not your love for them, by your love for the church, people will know that you're different. They'll know that you're his. Did you know in, in John 17 that this is in the same time, same table, same selfie, after the selfie, and after the washing of the feet, after all that, he, he, after he's dropping, this is the last couple hours he's going to spend with his, before he goes to the cross. So, like, I don't know about you, but if I only had a couple hours left with you before I go to the cross, before I'm going to go lay down my life for you, I'm going to kind of share with you, like, the most important stuff. Amen? I'm going to make sure I cover some, some good. We're not going to talk about politics. We're not going to talk about sports. We're not going to talk about the world. We're not going to talk about society. We're not going to, a lot of pulpits this morning are talking about everything. Anyway, we're going to talk about stuff that matters, right? And so he, he, after he shares the stuff and washes the feet, and he, he's John, in, in John 17, he prays for us. Look at this prayer. He's talking to the Father in front of them. He says, I don't ask for these only, those, the, the disciples that are there, but also for those who would believe in me through their word. That's me and you. So he prayed for us at the table in John 17, prayed for you and me, but also for those who believe in me through their word. <coughs> That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. So, one way the gospel message is proven to the world is not by anointed speakers, it's not by gifted preachers, it's not by bold evangelists. They proclaim it, but the gospel is proven by our love for each other. Do you ever see that? The gospel's proven by our love. Church, are we, are we there yet, man? Can you tell me that we're getting close at least? Can you tell me that that's what we want at least? Anybody? There's three people in here that want that? Because that's where we have to get. John 14 says, if anybody loves me, he'll obey my word. I hear so many people, I love God. I love, but, but, but God said, yeah, but you know, God knows my heart. God knows your heart. What does that have to do with anything? He knows that your heart is wicked and evil above all things. Yeah, he knows. But he's saying if you love me, you'll, you'll obey the word. You'll do what I, I asked. So when we look at the early church in the book of Acts, they were so changed by the word of God that they started doing life together. And, and, and I shared that in a message called Doing Life. They, they, they would gather and they would devote themselves and hear the sharing of the word. If I gave you a picture of communion in that time, some of your religious folk would be totally scandalized. I'm going to give it to you anyway. I submit to you that they would gather and do life together. And they would break bread and drink wine and have fellowship as unto the Lord. And that was communion. So fellowship, getting along, hanging out is ministry. Tell somebody, sign me up. Fellowship is ministry. 
When we do communion today, listen, we use grape juice and, 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 and it's become this literal ritual ceremony where we take the cracker and we take the little grape juice and we give thanks for the body and we give thanks for the blood and, and we get really serious about this and we get really religious about this and understand I'm not being disrespectful at all. We have to find a better way to do this. But, but, but do you think that's what Jesus meant by communion? This is what Roman Catholicism has done to communion. This is what religion has done to communion. It's a cracker and a grape juice and a cup. And it's three minutes at the end of a service. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the body. Amen. Amen. Don't do, do this wrong and you're sick. Do this wrong and you're going to die. And, you know, we, we hear all the, the scripture. And, and, oh, my God, I got to. And, and so most of us, a lot of people will pass, let the communion pass. Oh, no, man, I ain't even going to take it. That's too crazy. That cracker and that juice is too much for me. Do you think that's what Jesus meant when he said, do this and remember? Remember, he's at a table. They're all sitting on the same side. They love each other so much. They're all sitting together on one side. And they're loving each other. And they're having, and they're sharing. And they're talking about life. And they're talking about all the things that they've gone through together. And he says, when you get together, break bread and and do this in remembrance of me. He's saying, I'm going to go now. This is the last day. I'm going to go now. I'm not going to be here with you like this anymore. I'm not going to walk with you like this anymore. Do this in remembrance of me. So when you get together and when you break bread and drink wine and have fellowship together, remember who you used to be. Remember what I've done. Remember the debt that was paid for you. Remember the love that was shed for you. Remember the body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See, when the early church were breaking bread together, they were eating dinner. They were were eating and drinking outside of their circles. Listen, it was Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor. It was the haves and the haves-nots, and they were sharing a meal together. It was life-giving. Communion should be life-giving. Because some people there didn't have to eat and drink, and, and, and some people had abundance. And so when the first believers became family together, they decided to share everything and have everything in common. Communion is exactly that, communion with each other and communion with each other through God. Or to God through each other. <coughs> How do you know this, Pastor? Are you just... Talking deparate. No, we know this because later on we see in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul has to rebuke the Corinthian church because they started abusing the process. They started abusing these love feasts. And they, they started, and in, in, in by that point in Corinth, instead of sharing the food and drinks, each family was bringing their own and eating what, it, they, what they brought. It was no longer like, like we do at our picnics, just like bring a dish of chicken and eat everybody else's meat, amen, and eat everybody else's ribs, and, uh, and you brought a bag of donuts, and you bought like a watermelon that we couldn't even cut because we didn't have a knife. But, but that was communion. At this point, everybody was bringing their own little, if you guys did, I'd throw you out of the picnic if you tried that. You bring their own little food. I brought four hamburgers and, and, and two hot dogs, and that's for me and my two kids, and you know, and, and the, so they were, each were bringing their own. And so the result was the rich had plenty and they were getting over stuff, but the poor had little and they suffered embarrassment. And that's not unity. That's not holiness. That's not love. That, and so some people were leaving hungry from this communion and other people were drinking too much and leaving drunk. People were leaving drunk from communion. And so... Paul had to rebuke them because that's not what communion was supposed to be about. That's not fellowship. And, and so since that time, we, we've somehow evolved the Lord's Supper into this little ceremony. And I guess it's to keep it safe or at least to meet the, uh, God's command to do this in remembrance. But what was intended was such a beautiful life-giving picture of communion. The church coming together, eating and drinking and talking about him. And, and, and that's the love that people saw and were attracted to. And that's why people were added to the church daily. Daily. Because they were drawn to it because it was noticeably different. 
unity, holiness, and love. And so what comes up next in Ephesians, put your seat, go like this, buckle it in. What comes up next, as a matter of fact, in Ephesians, after all the stuff that we dealt with last week, Stop walking in sexual sins. Stop walking in promiscuity, immorality, greed, selfishness. Stop talking dirty. Let thanksgiving be your dialect. Take off the old self. Walk in the new creation that Christ has made. Be filled with the Spirit. Now Paul starts talking about our relationships. Sadly, marriages in the church are just as likely percentage-wise to fail as everybody else's. But marriages in the church should be noticeably different. So let's dig into these last 11 verses in Ephesians 5 before we're, we're, we're done with this chapter. So let's put Ephesians 5, 22 to 24 in the ESV. And um, as I read this passage and attempt to work with it to bring clarity and understanding, I'm going to ask the ushers to watch the stairs, make sure I don't get attacked before I could finish. Um, I was going to take the drum shield and like put that around here and preach from the plastic, but I ain't scared. The next passage of scripture that follows in this letter addresses our roles in marriage and parenting and leading. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your husbands. That's nervous laughter. I hear that. (laughs) Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Don't clap. You're going to get killed. Oh, it's a girl. That's good. It's fine. It's a woman. It's a wife. You can clap. I got nervous. If that was a guy clapping, that was, he was going to be taken out. Understand, marriage from the very beginning was prophetic of the spiritual relationship between Christ and the church. That's the great mystery that we read in Ephesians 5.32. So Paul begins here to build that analogy. See, marriage is like a picture of Christ and the church. And so he begins here to... Now, before I break, before we, we kind of unpack this, I want to address some things first. First of all, young people, single people, don't tune out because you're not married. This is just as much for you as for the married people because this will prepare you and teach you what you should expect and what you should um, be able, be ready to walk in when we understand our roles and our commitments and what's expected of us, amen? When you understand that, you won't enter into something like this with just some knucklehead. We'll think three, twice, three, four, five times before entering into this relationship. Can you, let me ask uh, young people and and, and the singles, can you submit to this man as the head of the body and put his picture there, whoever he is? And if he's not here, even easier. I wish he was here today. Number two, please don't write this off, what I'm about to go into and unpack, Or disqualify yourself if you've already tried this and blown it. If you've already made a mess of this, please don't disqualify yourself. We are in Christ. We are all being new. We've all blown it in many different areas in Christ. Can everybody say amen? And we've been given new... Robert just texted me. Like, Robert, I'm preaching, bro. That's our deacon in Puerto Rico. God bless you, bro. You're listening? All right. Stop interrupting me, though. So please don't write this off if you've already blown this. Don't think that because you've messed up before, you can't get it right now. I stand with you today, and I say you can. You can. Amen? 
You've blown it before. I'm telling you, you can get it right. You can uh, be new. Amen? Bottom line is this. Listen, when it comes to marriage and relationships, you can do with, like this the way you do with anything else. You can agree with what the world says or you can agree with what the word says. Let's just set that. Amen? The world has a lot to say about our roles as men and women and husband and wives and parents and children. The world is always changing, always evolving their beliefs and deciding where we're going to stand on this issue or that. And of course, you could do whatever you want, but if you want to follow, if we're going to follow the one that created this and designed this to work, then we have to look at what the word says. Somebody say amen. And that doesn't change with time, that doesn't change with culture, that doesn't change with laws, that doesn't change with society, that doesn't change with what we like or what we don't like. In the beginning, God, Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's fast forward a little bit. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, him, male and female, he created them. And then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Notice the man was created first. 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Notice the man was given authority, instruction, and responsibility. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for this knucklehead to be alone. I will make for him a helper suitable for him. And so the Lord caused, well, he created all the animals and not a helper was found suitable. And so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, (coughs) closed it up. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, (coughs) he made into woman and brought her to the man. Notice, women came after and from out of the man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, up to this point, Paul has been addressing the church in the book of Ephesians, right? And he's saying the main theme is unity with one another. The main theme is personal holiness. The main theme is love for one another. It's submission to one another. It's a, now, what he does now is he gives us a picture of how marriage should reflect the church. You with me? So let's read uh, the same verse in the message, 522. The reason I use the message, by the way, is people call that, oh, that's not a real Bible, that's a soft Bible. I don't recommend you read the message by itself, but if, you, if you're mixing it with the, the English Standard Version, the New American, that's a little more grounded, it's just nice to get a full picture. Amen? But I wouldn't, like, rest on this one. I just, I, to, to me, it's poetry. It's just written so beautifully. Okay, so that's my explanation on that. People like to judge you on that. Message 20, in the message, verse 22, wives, understand and support your husbands. See, doesn't that give you a different picture? The first one offended you. Submit to your husbands. This says wives, that's still true. I'm not changing that or softening that, but explaining it a little better. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. Ah, that felt better for you. I'm glad. I just threw a little blanket around somebody. Ah. So just as the church submits to Christ, he exercises such leadership. Wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Okay, thank you. So the church is the body of Christ to which Christ is the head. So the husband is the head of the body as he was given authority, instruction, and responsibility for the wife. Let's talk about what that doesn't mean first. Amen? Nowhere is the word saying that women are inferior to men. I thought that would be a good... Nowhere, 
and, and I'm not just saying that so I won't get beat up. I'm, just, I'm saying that because that's, nowhere is the word saying women are inferior. Paul is not, also Paul is not saying wives are inferior to their husbands. Submission is about order, not inferiority. Nowhere does it say the man is better than the woman. What it really says is the husband is responsible for the wife. Wow, what a different picture. Your one year anniversary over there somewhere. Submission is a military term. Submission refers to rank and authority, and with that comes responsibility. So Adam was created first. He was given authority, and it was under his headship. And that's why even when Eve took the fruit first, who did God hold responsible? He called for the man. Oh. He said, man, where are you? ¿A dónde tú estás? And, you know, the man tried to punk out. He said, it's that woman that you gave me. You know, that, that, that woman, she naked. She told me to take the fruit. I bit it. A woman, naked woman tell you to buy the fruit. You buy the fruit, you know. And he tried to, and he said, guy, the guy, the guy. So wives are subject to their own husbands as an expression of their submission to the Lord. How far should a wife submit to her husband? That's a great question. Thank you for asking that. It says, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. That means if your husband is following the Lord, just submit to him. You're not going to like this one, though. That doesn't mean to submit to him as long as you agree that he's following in the Lord. As long as you agree with him, you submit to him, that's not submission, that's manipulation. Now, when does this stop? If the husband asks you or leads you into sin, then we follow the Lord, not man. That's when we submit to the Lord and not to man. When he asks you to do something that's against the word, when he asks you to do something against the spirit of God that you are convicted with, when he asks you to step out from under God's covering, that's when you step out from, that's when you slide to the right. In submitting to her husband, the wife is obeying God. She's playing the part of the church in this picture. And as the church is called to submit to the headship of Christ, the bridegroom, wives are called to submit to the headship of the groom. Amen? Do you you see that? It's a beautiful picture. Now, this may seem like a tough pill to swallow, and it definitely sounds like a dated concept in today's society where Women are holding high offices where women can run for president. Amen. Where women can have just about any job they want. Women have proven that they can raise kids by themselves, that they can succeed on their own without the help and in spite of any man. Women have proven that they're strong enough. But listen. Just because you can raise kids by yourself, thanks for finishing that, doesn't mean you should have to. And it doesn't mean you were meant to. God made it so that it takes both of us to make the kid. We should both be there to raise the kid. Amen? The word is saying here that a marriage honors a marriage that honors God should model and be a picture of the church to the world around them. It should be noticeably different. When you know that in some ways you you may even be stronger or smarter than the one you're called to submit to, then submission is strength in control. 
Now, this may seem to be leaning one way right now, but trust me, the next few verses are going to balance things out real quickly. Amen? Say, let's go there. Wives get three verses. The rest of them come at the husbands. So, if... Here's a great quote. So, if the model for marriage is Jesus and the church, and the wife plays the role of the church then the man is called to play the role of the one who laid down his life for the church. Say, go there already. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives. Now, that's not love like you love peanuts and beer. That's agape. That's, that means love her with a sacrificial type of love, a selfless love that exists regardless of changing conditions. Even when she changes, your love is the same. Even when she slows down, your love keeps on. It's a love that's immeasurable, incomparable. It's a love that doesn't love in order to get some But a love that loves in order to give everything. I need a drink with that one. 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ is the savior of the church. So as Christ is the covering for the church, husbands are the covering for their wives. Can that man you're dating, can that man you're messing around with be your covering? Is that woman who says she's your wifey, are you willing to lay down your life as a covering for her? If not, leave her alone. (sighs) Message. 25, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best of her. Verse 28, and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. Here's a picture. If If the two become one flesh, then anything I do for her, I'm doing for me. Anything she, I, I do, anything she does for me, she's doing for her because we're one flesh. So that's why it says here, therefore, uh, uh, for no one, verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Some brothers take care of themselves a lot better than they take care of their wives. Everybody look forward, don't look to the side, don't go like that. Just, this is difficult, it'll be over shortly, just look forward. Worship team is coming up in a minute. Straight face. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's another problem in a lot of marriages. There's, we ain't left mommy yet. We got 50-year-old men still haven't left mommy yet. We're, we're, listen, you, you guys know, you know, our stuff is an open book. My, my two daughters and their husbands live in our in our. You know, we, we live together in, in a big house, but the, the, they are one, and, and daddy and mommy, we don't, get, we don't get in the middle of any of that. 
They, they got to go through their own arguments. They got to go. I, I don't get in. The, we haven't one time gotten in the middle of any of their. I, I tell them, if you hurt my daughters, I'll kill you in your sleep. That's true. Granted. <laughs> granted. They know that. Everybody knows that. And then 1 John 1, 9, I'll confess my sins and be forgiven. Um, but thankfully, they're amazing men, and I love them. Amazing husbands, amazing dads, and I love them, but they got to work things out by themselves. It's not, I'm not in there. Just because I live there, I'm not in there. And, and, and that has to, a man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. Amen. The mystery is profound, Paul says, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's read the different version. And this is a huge mystery that I don't pretend to understand at all. What's clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Wives, you want to change your husbands? Honor and respect them. This is marriage class 101 right here. I'm giving you a free one. I didn't even charge you for that one. You want to change him? Don't keep asking God to change him. Vice versa, too. Honor and respect them. Lay down your life for her. Some of you are looking, especially Hispanic men, you're looking at me saying, if I lay down, she'll walk all over me. (laughs) Men, you're strong enough. Take it. Then stand up and walk it the way God told you to walk. Amen? See, God's challenge is this. And worship team, you could come. I got to stop here. God's challenge is that married Christians need to step up to a standard of sacrificial investment in one another equal to that of his sacrificial investment in the church. My prayer is that after this series, after going through this book and hearing this, these words, and, and, and that our, our walk should be noticeably different, that our lives should be noticeably different, that our marriages should be noticeably different, and, and because of all of that, our church should be noticeably different. I, I read this in a, in a commentary I fear, that, I fear that many Christians pride themselves for merely surviving in their marriage. While there is not the love, joy, harmony, and intimacy that's needed to portray the marriage of Christ and His church. Let us not be content with marriages which merely survive. Rather, let's seek marriages that thrive. God's Word sets a much higher standard for marriage. Marriage is, is a gift from God to us. The quality of our marriage is our gift to God. Let's stand, let's pray. Gary, Pastor Gary, would you come and pray with us? God is setting a higher standard for us all to be noticeably different. So we're going to do a reset now. Whatever Whatever your marriage has been like up to this point, How many of you are ready to start over? But see, I, I got to speak to the men first. You see, God doesn't tell, the Bible doesn't say that you're called to change. The Bible says you're called to die. 
We're to lay down everything in our lives that hinders God, everything in our lives that keeps our marriage from reflecting God's glory, from being a picture of Jesus' love for the church. So I want to speak to the husbands first. Maybe every one of us has messed up to some degree. We, we have no perfect husbands here. But I believe that there's a challenge being laid down. See, I read this in all the men's ministry magazines, that men like a challenge. They, they, they want to be a hero. Well, I'm calling for husbands today who are choosing to be heroes for God. And you're declaring, it's not going to be the same when I get home. I'm not going to curse you out when I'm driving you home in the car. Not anymore. No more abuse. I'm not going to demean you anymore. I'm not going to walk out on you. If you're a husband, the passion of your heart should be to create a safe place for your family where they love to come home, where they can't wait for you to walk in the door. See, that's, that's being a biblical husband and father. You are a safety zone. I know when I can share my heart with you and I'm not going to get bashed. So I, I want to, I'm seeking true husbands today. If that's you, if you're saying, I'm ready for a reset, I'm ready to do it over. Doesn't matter, you messed up royalty, you walked out. But starting right now, the grace of God is coming like a cloud. The grace and the mercy of God is resting all over you. So if that's you, if you're a husband here, and by a husband, I mean that you dedicated your life to your wife. You put a ring on her finger that said, till death do us part. That's what a biblical husband is. If you're saying, this is a new start for me today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm calling out husbands. I'm challenging husbands today. So, Father, I just pray right now, God. I pray for every husband who has a hand raised right now in Jesus' name. Father, give them, Lord God, fresh fire in, in, in their bellies, Lord God, fresh passion to serve you. I thank you for gentle spirits, Lord God. I speak peace over you, over your home. I give you the courage that you need, the boldness to change, to go home today and say to your wife, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I haven't been the husband that Christ made me to be, but this is a new day. I bless you to be a husband. I bless you to be a man of valor, a man of holiness, a man of honor. That's what God calls you. And I release right now the grace of God into your life in Jesus' name. For those wives, your husband raised their hands. Don't go home and say, I know you. You're just going to do the same old thing. We're not playing that today. We're believing God that something's got to break loose. And I want to speak to the wives right now. I, I just want to challenge you also. 
to provide a place of unconditional love, unconditional peace, a place of rest. Father, we thank you today, Lord God. I thank you for women, Lord God, who will not only submit, Lord God, but would treasure their husbands, a gift that God gave, Lord God. So I'm, I'm going to ask the wives right now if you could raise your hand. If you're saying, I'm responding to this message, I'm going to be that wife. I'm going to love my husband unconditionally, even in his imperfection, even in his mess. Father, I thank you right now, Lord God, for every wife who has a hand raised before you, Lord God. I bless them right now. I speak the blessings of the Father over you. That the love of God will flow through you in Jesus' name. I bless your willingness to sacrifice today, to take a new risk in Jesus' name. Father, that your protection would be over these women, Lord God. Father, that they would be truly joined together in holy marriage, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that what you have joined together, that nobody can separate in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for unity in every home. I thank you for your order, Lord God, not the order of this world. Father, we bless these couples. We bless these marriages. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen. Yes, yes, yes. Before we leave, can we just worship together? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. This kind of love, this kind of love, only you can give. This kind of love, this kind of love, Place where you brought. 
And if you're here for baptism class, that will be in the back in the annex. Have a wonderful week. And there's still time to sign up for baptism classes.